Asking for advice makes people think we're smarter and more competent, not less. And you might say, well, why? Why would asking for advice make people think we're more competent? And the reason, very simply, is that people are egocentric. Everybody loves to think they give great advice. And so when someone asks them for their advice, they go, wow, all the people you asked, you asked me, you must be really sharp, right? Because you knew to ask me out of, out of everybody else. And so not only does asking for advice allow us to collect useful information, um, but it also allows us to be perceived more positively. Social Pros listeners, we love having repeat guests, as you all know, but we have a four-time repeat guest today that you all know so, so well. A good friend of the podcast, good friend of Jay. You've probably seen him, well, you've heard him definitely on this show before, but you've probably seen him at many events and marketing-related things. We, of course, are speaking to the amazing Jonah Berger, who is a professor at Wharton School at University of Pennsylvania, internationally best-selling author, world-renowned expert on word-of-mouth, social influence, and consumer behavior, and of course, he's back today to talk about his fantastic book, Magic Words. Daniel, this is a really cool episode because it has just so many different applications, not just for social pros, but also just across our everyday lives. This was really fun. Yeah, I mean, this definitely comes in the form of advice that is not just for your career, but also for your relationship and your, you know, your children, household management. The, the whole framework of Magic Words is something that can improve uh, most most parts of I think your 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 day to day life, um, and we we joked about uh, I think this is now the fourth time uh, uh, Jonah's been on the show, but uh, that you don't have to write a book to come on Social Pros. <laughs> we uh, are delighted, of course, though, to be talking about his new book, Magic Words, today. Yeah, it's really, really cool social pros. We dig in. Word nerds, you are going to love this episode. And even if you're not as much of a word nerd, um, I still think you're going to love this episode because there's some really cool insights and advice on how we can just even tweak our language just slightly to get that much better results. So before we jump in and hear about uh, magic words from Jonah and talk all things language and how to amplify our results, let's hear from our amazing show sponsors, ICUC. Hey there, Social Pros listeners. This is Erica with ICUC, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit about social listening. If you are not doing social listening as a brand, I cannot recommend it enough. It is an amazing way that you're able to get information across your social channels, but even beyond that, to understand how your audience is reacting to your organization. That's everything from sentiment to hashtags to reach all that information that you can use to better your brand strategy. There are very, very powerful tools that exist that are able to bring in all that good data. Unfortunately, there are some limitations. So not all social channels do pull into social listening tools. That's where you have to do actually some manual work. But what's really important is no matter what, that you are doing it, you're understanding which channels are really impactful for your brand. If you need help, we are experts over at ICUC. What we do is we not only combine the tools, but the manpower to help bring all the data that you care about most all into one place, help analyze it, and really help you devise your best plan forward. We would love to talk to you more. Head over to our website, icuc.social. If you need any help with social listening, this is to strategize. This is to think about your best next steps in social and get you on the right path with your audience. Again, that's icuc.social. 
And now back to Social Pros. It is uh, sometimes the case that we have guests come back on Social Pros after a period of time being away. It is less common the case that they come on uh, back on Social Pros with a follow-up book, but I think it's probably almost never the case that we have a guest back on Social Pros with their fourth follow-up book. So uh, we are very excited to uh, for today's conversation with Professor Jonah Berger. Welcome to back to Social Pros under new tutelage, of course, but we are delighted to uh, have you back on the show. Thanks so much for having me back. I'm, of course, a huge, huge, huge fan of everything you've written over the years. Now, on your fourth book that we're going to talk about today, Magic Words, uh, that just came out, um, we, uh, we actually referenced, I don't know if you remember this, uh, when we wrote uh, Talk Triggers, Jay and I, uh, we referenced Contagious, and I think you even gave uh, some comments uh, back to us. Uh, it was in a chapter not ironically titled Steer the Conversation, which we are uh, going to talk about, uh, I think, today. It's sort of tied to today's topic uh, and your, your new book, Magic Words. Um, I wanted to kind of start by just giving you, you know, uh, an opportunity to share what this new framework, what this new book is really all about. Yeah, you know, I don't have to tell you that we use language a lot. We are speaking right now using language. Uh, language is what we use when we draft social media posts, when we put together presentations, when we pitch clients, when we talk to loved ones. Even our private thoughts rely on language. But while we spend a lot of time thinking about the ideas we want to communicate, you know, thinking about posting on social, we might say, uh, you know, this is on sale or check out this new thing we have. We think a lot less about the specific words we use to communicate those ideas, the specific language we use to express uh, ourselves or ideas. And, and unfortunately, that's a mistake because subtle shifts in the language we use can have a big increase on our impact. Um, uh, adding a couple words to request, for example, a couple letters to request. Uh, can increase the likelihood of other people saying yes by about 30%. Um, rather than saying we like something, saying we recommend that thing makes other people about a third more likely to take our suggestion. And in everything from uh, the language uh, posts on social media, the language used at email in the office, the language used in applying for a loan um, on the web, all those things provide interesting insights into who we are and how likely we are to behave in particular ways in the future. And so the key questions for me is, you know, well, what are these magic words? And more importantly, how can we take advantage of their power? So as a former copywriter, that's what my whole background is. You are singing my song. I am all about <laughs> words. I am a stickler for voice and tone and exactly how things come across to the point where I obsessively read my content out loud just to hear how it sounds and how it comes across. But I'm just really curious, what made you want to write this book? Because, and also I should tell, tell everybody right now, um, Magic Words is available right now. So you have to go get this. You can get it from Amazon, but it is available right now. But Jonah, what, what led you to want to write this now um, as of March, 2023, when it came out? Yeah. You know, uh, what's been so interesting um, is the changes that have happened over the past few years. And and I don't have to tell you, right, as, as you said, that many people think about language, right? Many people go, okay, well, how does this sound? Or you know, does this work or not? Um, I had this experience myself when I released my first book, Contagious, where I was sitting there going, okay, you know, I'm an academic. I write academic papers. Hopefully we find something interesting, but, you know, finding something interesting isn't enough. I have to figure out a way to write this book that people are going to want to read it. 
And so I went out and did what, what any probably first-time author does, which is look around at other books that I loved and think about what they were doing, right? And what, what, what seemed to be working. So, you know, I read books like Made to Stick and um, uh, books like Predictably Irrational and The Tipping Point and um, uh, Power of Habit and a variety of other different books and kind of said, okay, what feels to me like, like it's working in, in the way these people are writing? But then the more I thought about it, I went, well, well, hold on. If something's really working, we should be able to see that in data, right? I mean, it's one thing to read our copy or read something we've written and go, oh, this is good or this needs work. But you know, if there's a better and worse way to do it, we should be able to show it empirically, right? We should be able to analyze books, for example, to figure out what makes them more engaging. We should be able to analyze social media posts to look at what boosts engagement. We should be able to look at song lyrics or movie scripts and understand ways of communicating ideas that increases their impact. And so um, you know, about a decade, probably 15 or so years ago now, I started using some of these natural language tools to begin to answer these, these questions or explore these questions, looking at everything from, you know, what increases customer satisfaction, the language that agents use and increase satisfaction, what increases engagement on social, the, the words, the images, the linguistic features um, that deepen engagement on social media, what makes certain songs, hits, and movies blockbusters. And so we've looked at a variety of different types of language, and this book is kind of a summary of some of the things that we've found so far. This is absolutely fantastic, and I literally cannot think of a better time to be talking to you about this, especially with the rise of AI-created content and just you know, there's still so far that AI has to go and it's just not quite, uh, it's not human. And and when we are humans communicating with humans, you know, it really is those words that matter and, and having some of those connections. And as you mentioned, words literally are everything and it's all about communication. I'm curious, before we kind of jump into some of the themes in the book and some of the things that you found along the way, is there a story that you have or an anecdote that you have to help our social pros listeners understand exactly the impact that magic words can have, or just even the impact of words. Yeah, I'll give you a simple example. Um, so uh, a few years ago, some researchers were interested in a question many of us care about, which is persuasion. How do we, how do we persuade others? Um, and so they went to a local preschool and they asked four and five-year-old kids to help them clean up. There were blocks on the floor, crayons, it was a mess. And they asked the kids for, for help cleaning up. Now, not surprisingly, kids are nice, but not all of them want to help clean up. And so they wondered, okay, could language make a difference? Could the words we use in this request um, affect whether or not people clean up? And so for some kids, they said, hey, can you help clean, clean up? And for other kids, they said, can you be a helper? Now, just to call it out very clearly, the difference between help and helper is not very large, right? Help Er is just adding an ER at the end of help, yet it led to about a third increase in the percentage of students that helped clean up. And you might say, well, that's cute, that's kids and classrooms, but does this really matter for adults in consequential situations? And so more recently, some researchers looked at the context of voting, and they looked whether they could get people to turn out to vote based on the language of the requests that they received. So some people received requests saying, hey, can you please go vote? And other people received a request that said, can you be a voter? Now, again, the difference between vote and voter is even smaller. It's one letter, adding an R on the end of the word vote. Yet that led to about a 15% increase in people turning out to the polls. And so one question is why, right? Why did voter rather than vote or helper rather than help? Why did it increase the impact of the request? And if, if you look deeper, it's about the difference between actions and identities, right? So we all know that we should take certain actions, help, vote, do a variety of different things, but we're busy. We don't have time. We mean to, but we don't get to it. What we care more about than holding desired uh, actions, taking desired actions, is holding desired identity. 
we all want to see ourselves as smart and efficacious and competent and, you know, at least mildly athletic and a variety of different things. And so the more an action is an opportunity to claim a desired identity, well, the more likely we are to take that action, right? Voting sure is fine, but if voting is an opportunity to show myself and others that I am a voter, well, I'm more likely to do it. Similarly, helping, yeah, okay, helping is good, but if helping is an opportunity to show people I'm a helper, I'm more likely to do it. And so very simply, by turning actions into identities, by using language to turn action into identities, we can make more people be more likely to take those actions. Wow, that is really fascinating. And what's funny is even as you were you were talking about that, that's what struck me too, is asking people to do something feels like a chore, yet that identity basis, it becomes a part of them. So people are much more willing to take action, which is just mind-blowing. It's both mind-blowingly simple and complex, like at the same time. I, I don't know yeah. if that makes sense, but it's really fascinating. Building on that for just a second, as you were talking, you know, thinking about, uh, uh, thinking about that in terms of social media, you know, there's a difference between asking people to do something, buy something versus being part of a community, right? Um, you know, uh, if you think about Taylor Swift, for example, they call them, I think, Swifties, if that's, if that's correct. Um, but it, it's an identity, right? It's not just that you're buying someone's music. It's not just that you're, um, you know, purchasing a product or using a service. It's part of your identity. L.L. Bean recently had a campaign all about being an outsider um, and a be and am together are being. And so it, it works nicely for them, but it's all about the identity associated with, with buying from them. And so often identities are much more powerful than action. And if we can frame action as identities, at least desirable identities, we can encourage people to take those actions. This is super fascinating. My mind is blown, Daniel. I, this is really fascinating. I love it. I love words to begin with. Jonah, I'm so excited to talk about this today. <laughs> and I think the, the good news, though, to me at least, is it's not just, I mean, we all love language, right? Or many people love language. Not everybody loves language. Many people do. But, but my hope is just that we can start to quantify these things. And it's not, by the way, that in every situation, a certain type of language is good. Take, take what we just talked about. You know, the opposite is also true in some situations. Losing is bad, but being a loser is worse. Cheating is bad, but being a cheater is worse. And so research shows that if um, a certain action would make us a cheater, cheating on a test, for example, we're less likely to do it. It's almost like that old campaign, you know, don't be a litter bug. Telling people not to litter, sure, littering is bad, but being a litter bug, if littering would make me a litter bug, it would be even worse. And so there, if we want people to avoid certain things, right? Um, turning those actions into identities can encourage them to, to avoid it. And so I think it's all about beginning to understand kind of what language does, not just sort of thoughts about what it is, but empirically, what does it do? And how by understanding that science, we can increase our impact. I think you actually talk in the book about this being nouns versus verbs, uh, which is, which is in sort of using a noun to kind of give uh, identity and, uh, and, and frame that. Uh, in that same sort of piece of the framework, you talk about agency. So identity and agency kind of being uh, linked together. What do you mean when you talk about agency? What, how do those two things really link link up in your in your research? Yeah. So so to me, you know, words don't just communicate information. They communicate what it means to engage in a particular action, um, and they also communicate who's at fault or who's to to blame. So is it is it okay if I tell a quick story? For sure. So, so a couple of years ago, um, uh, a large um, uh, consumer electronics firm reached out and they said, hey, can you help us analyze all of our social content, the language we're using in social and the engagement it's receiving? So we have a given post. We said certain things. Here's the engagement it received. You know, what language is, is linked to engagement? And so looking across these hundreds, if not thousands of posts, 
we found a particular type uh, of language was linked to greater engagement, greater likes and shares and, and so on. And that was words related to the word you. So things like you, your, your, um, second person pronouns uh, like the word you. And, and if you think about why you can act like a stop sign, it grabs our attention. It says, hey, this thing isn't just a thing. It's a thing that you might find interesting. So, you know, compared to the, the phrase uh, here, five tips for saving money, five tips to save you money may make people feel like, okay, this is more relevant to me. And so I should pay attention. And, and you know, there are definitely cases where you is overused in social, so we careful. But, you know, we did find that, that you was helpful. And so this project went well enough. They said, cool, this was great. Can you follow up and do the same analysis with our customer support content? So think about um, if you have a problem with your phone or your computer or your printer, you might go to the company's website uh, and they have a bunch of help pages and search for help on how to solve it, how to sync your watch or how to, you know, make sure your phone does this particular thing. And so if you is just good, period, we should have found that you does well on these pages. The more that a page uses the word you, the more helpful readers find that page. But in fact, we found the exact opposite. The more a help page used a word like you, your, your, the less helpful people found it. And so originally we were sort of scratching our heads going, well, wait a second, wasn't you really helpful in this case? Why is it not helpful here? But what the data bears out is there's a different function of you that's going on, right? So yes, you can help grab attention. And that's really useful on social when we're trying to grab attention, right? We have people have a big feed, they're sifting through a variety of different things, things like you and images and other things are more likely to grab attention. Great, you can act as a stop sign. But on a help page, people are already there. They don't, you don't need to grab their attention because they went to this particular page looking for something. So there's no benefit of you grabbing their attention. But unfortunately, what you also does in these situations is it suggests blame or fault, right? If a page says, hey, if your phone is broken, you need to reboot the system and then you need to do these different steps, someone could sit there going, well, hold on, why do I have to do all this work? Why is it my fault? It's your phone that broke in the first place. And so use can feel a little bit accusatory, right? Even if we don't mean them to feel accusatory, they can, right? Think about it in an office context. If someone comes in and said, hey, did you finish that report? Might say, why is it my job to finish this report? Or, you know, at home, um, your spouse or partner might say, hey, did you walk the dog? Did you make dinner? Why is it my responsibility to do that? We may mean just saying, hey, did the dog get a walk? Did the report get done? But the word you can suggest both agency and blame. It can suggest who's responsible for something, who's in charge in ways that are good and, and bad. And so we need to think about these words when we use them, right? And, and, uh, and it's not just words like you, even words like I and we. In customer service, for example, research finds that uh, the word I, people are more satisfied when an agent uses the word I. Why? Because when they say I can solve that problem versus we can solve that problem, they're taking initiative, they're taking agency, they're saying, I'm going to do this work for you. And it makes us believe that that person cares a bit more. And so um, these subtle words, even though they might go by very quickly or, or seem not very important, can have an important effect on our impact in a variety of situations. First off, again, just in case I didn't make it clear, I love language and studying language. So this is super fascinating. So I, it's just unbelievable to me, though, that these things, unbelievable in a good way, that these things really can be a make or break. Jonah, to your point, I mean, if we are trying to help people who are coming in for social customer care, and we use the word you, like, well, what did you do with your phone? Or, or what did you do to your account? Like how defensive that could be taken, especially over when there isn't that voice and tone and that person's voice behind it, even just reading yeah. it totally changes that context. And so to say like, I can help you versus 
you know, what did you want help with today totally changes. It's just, honestly, it's mind blowing. And it's really, really impactful for how we communicate across pretty much every part of our lives. Yeah, I mean, you know, we use language all, all the time in basically everything we do. And, and so, you know, I think some of us have this intuition. Look, some people are just better at this. Like, you know, I certainly have friends in, in my personal life that they're just so charismatic. When they open their, their mouths, everything they say is music. Similarly, you know, I, I wish I was a better writer. Sometimes I read what people write and I'm like, that's just poetry. You know, like they are an amazing copywriter. And we think that people are either born with this skill or not. But, but I would say the skill isn't something we're born with. These skills are things that are, that are made. But if we understand how language works, we can all be better speakers. We may not get up on stage in front of millions of people, but we can speak more effectively in that meeting or in pitching that client. Similarly, we can all be better writers. Um, we may not write uh, essays or novels, but whether we're writing content online or off, by understanding how language works, we can, we can increase our effectiveness. So even though we've been talking about magic words and we kind of jumped into even a specific category that you've identified within the book. Can we just take real quick a step back for everybody and just identify how exactly are you defining magic words in, in yeah. this context? Yeah, so, so the book talks about six key types of language um, uh, that we can deploy in a variety of situations to, to be more effective. Um, and I love frameworks. I, I think they help make things more memorable. And so um, uh, in, in this book, there's the speak framework. How can we speak more effectively? Um, and that's an acronym. The S uh, in speak is the language of similarity and difference. So how the words we use communicate similarity or difference and how that can um, do everything from uh, affect uh, whether or not people want to be friends with us to whether movies and other types of content are particularly uh, in engaging. The P in speak is for the language of posing questions, all about how we can ask more effective questions, right? Um, questions do some amazing work. They don't just collect information. They shape how we're perceived. Um, they shape what people pay attention to, the shape of conversation. Um, and so we can use better questions to deepen social connection uh, and do a variety uh, of different things, get attention, hold attention, uh, and, and so on. The E uh, in speak is the language of emotion um, uh, and how we can use emotion uh, to shape uh, perceptions uh, and engagement. Um, uh, we have a, a recent piece, for example, we looked at tens of thousands of pieces uh, of online content. So like articles that are written and looked at what holds attention. So not just how we get attention, but how we can hold attention, keep people reading, ways of writing that do that, and particular types of emotional language that do that. As we talked about the A and speak is the language of agency and identity. And so we gave a couple examples of that, but I think in the book there are three or four more sort of subtypes there or ways to apply that, that concept. Um, and then the framework ends with two Cs. Uh, and I, I know that speak should end with a K, but I wasn't clever enough to come up with a type of language that ended with a K. So we've got two seasons instead. Uh, the first C is the language of confidence, how we communicate confidence or certainty and how that impacts persuasion. Uh, and then the second C is the language of concreteness and, and how we can use that in everything from social media content uh, to customer support interactions and a variety of different contexts um, to, uh, to shape uh, various interactions. Love it. Thank you so much for that overview. And again, social pros. Jonah's book is available right now. It's Magic Words, What to Say to Get Your Way. And within each of these categories, you're going to find a wealth of different ways to phrase exactly what you want or what you're trying to achieve and accomplish and, and get better results just based on the stories that are in here and the data and everything that Jonah has put together. And it's really, just really fascinating as we've already kind of dug in as well. 
But yeah, Jonah, I'm just curious. Do you have like a favorite category that you discovered throughout the whole framework? <laughs> like, is there one that you're like, this one is my jam? Like, obviously, they're all your children in, in, in the magic words. But is there one that you particularly love? Yeah, so I'll give, um, I'm happy to talk. I'll, I'll give you one that I, I like a lot. And then I also, there's a piece that didn't make the book because it was actually published since the book came out. Uh, but it's particularly relevant for social media that I'm that I'm happy to mention as well. But I find the language of of confidence to be quite uh, to quite interesting. Um, you know, uh, again, we all have friends that uh, speak and everybody listens. Often they speak with a great deal of confidence, but I don't think we always know what communicates uh, confidence. And so uh, we've done some work on hedges, for example. So um, uh, often uh, people hedge. I do it all the time. Uh, this might work. I think this is a good idea. This is probably a good solution. Um, uh, hedges, unfortunately, undermine our impact. Um, uh, we hedge to communicate that we're not completely sure about something. It's a linguistic device we use when we're uncertain. But unfortunately, by making us seem less certain, it makes us less persuasive. Research finds in the context of financial advisors, for example, people are more likely to choose advisors that seem more certain because if someone seems particularly certain, it's hard to believe that they, they could be wrong. Um, and so certain language can be a, a great way to to persuade others and, um, uh, and, and change minds and drive action um, by, by signaling that somebody's really confident about what, what they're talking about. So there's, there's a bunch of fascinating stuff in, in that chapter. I'll mention, though, as uh, one piece that didn't make the book, but uh, was recently sort of hot off the presses. So we, we looked at the language that influencers use uh, online. Um, and here's a little bit of the challenge, right? So we all know that influencers can be a great way to diffuse sort of awareness and interest. They can be a great way to get people um, interested or to purchase a particular product or service. Um, but the problem is that people don't trust them as much as they trust their friends, right? Pe people don't trust traditional ads. Um, they trust their friends' traditional word of mouth way more than, than ads. But influencers are trying to fill this space in between where they have more reach than, than someone might with their friends because we only have so many friends. So hopefully they have more reach, but we want some of that impact. Also, we don't want them to just reach people, we want them to have impact. So what can influencers say to increase their impact, particularly when they're not necessarily trusted? And, and the reason that people don't always trust influencers is they know they got paid, right? They know that the reason this person is talking about some cream or, uh, you know, a robe or a type of peanut butter is that company gave it to them for free um, or they paid them to talk about it. And so what can influencers do to increase engagement? And so we looked um, at actual influencer content online as well as conducting a variety of experiments. And we found that this particular feature was very helpful uh, in, in increasing trust. Uh, and that is using what I'll call sensory language. So imagine I said, hey, I like this peanut butter versus this peanut butter tastes great. Or even this peanut butter is really crunchy, right? Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I enjoyed these sheets. I like these sheets. I love these sheets versus, oh, the sheets feel so soft, right? The, the difference in those is sometimes we express an attitude towards something. We like it or we don't. In other times, we use more sensory language. We talk about how something tastes, how it touches, how it feels, how it smells, um, the sight of it, um, those type of things. And we find that those sensory words increase engagement, increase likes and comments and, and shares on content. And the reason why is it's really hard to know what a peanut butter tastes like if you haven't experienced it. It's really hard to talk about um, you know, how soft sheets feel if you haven't actually touched those sheets. And so if someone's indicated that they've had experience with the product, people are more likely to trust what they have to say. Sure, if they say they like the sheets, maybe they like them, maybe they just got paid. But if they at least said that the sheets felt X, Y, Z, 
it's more likely they experience the product and more likely that even if they got paid, that thing that they're saying is actually coming from experience. And so people are more likely to trust them and, and their content has more impact. And also true, I, I, I find sometimes when I'm watching influencer content, they, they just sort of launch into a, uh, their review of the product without even, it, it's very clear that they didn't really spend time with the product. It was kind of like, um, I got this really cool thing. It's amazing. I mean, just, it's amazing. All the amazing things about this. Uh, and it's like, well, did you actually try that? Did you wear that for a day? Yeah. Did you, you know, use that suitcase or that carry on bag for, you know, several business trips before you before you're really yes. just glowing, glowing up its, its features. And I, I, I yes. often see influencers. Uh, uh, I want to ask you this because uh, I always feel like it sort of, it, it does chip away a little bit at my confidence in their content when they say, you know, I know you may not expect me to, of, of course you expect me to say this, I'm being paid, you know, to talk about this, or I got this trip for free, or I got this experience for free, but it's actually really good. I always find when they kind of hedge that way that it it does chip away a little bit at the confidence. Like, yeah, I know I I think we all kind of know the the game here that you got in some way compensated for this. You you know, saying that doesn't necessarily make me trust you more, uh, just because you're being transparent about it. Uh so I think it's yeah. interesting that you you talk about these sensory um the the sensory language. Words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they're doing exactly what you said, which is they're indicating experience. Right? It's one thing to say, I like this. It's another thing to say, hey, I took this, um, you know, I took this on the last 10 business trips I went on and man, it really performed, right? It's not just saying that you like it. It's saying that, it, that you used it. And if you used it, well, you know, then it's probably likely that it's better. It's not a guarantee, right? Um, you, you still could be, you know, talking about it positively because the, the company paid you. But at least you're not just saying positive things in the absence of, of experience. And so I think that makes uh, communicators seem more authentic and makes others more likely to listen to what you say. For sure. I think for, for some of uh, those in the social pros community, um, putting this kind of work into practice, it, well, it takes some practice. Uh, there's, there are ways kind of into using magic words that, that perhaps are easier than others. I, one, of the, one of the pieces in your framework, I thought that it just feels immediately actionable and because I try to practice it all, all, all the time. Uh, is asking the right questions that sort of part of the yeah. process because it it unveils to you what that person's sort of you know hot points are uh what their their real you know their own kind of personal magic words so um what what when you talk about asking the right questions what kind of is the the science behind that yeah i mean there's there's a bunch of different things i'll, I'll give you one example so you know we we tend to not want to ask for advice why because we think one, you know, maybe someone won't know the answer. Two, we don't know to bother. We don't want to bother them. And even worse, they'll think less of us, right? So we're in a difficult situation. We're trying to solve a problem. We we know someone who we think might be able to help, but we don't ask them because we think they'll see us more negatively, we'll seem less competent or less intelligent. So so we don't ask. But it turns out that's a mistake. Um, some some researchers look at asking for advice and they compare people who ask for advice and and those who don't. And they find that first, not only does asking advice not make us be perceived more negatively, it actually has the opposite effect. Asking for advice makes people think we're smarter and more competent, not, not less. And you might say, well, why? Why would asking for advice make people think we're more competent? And the reason, very simply, is that people are egocentric. Everybody loves to think they give great advice. And so when someone asks them for their advice, uh, they go, wow, all the people you asked and you asked me must be really sharp. 
right? Because you knew to ask me out of, out of everybody else. And so not only does asking for advice allow us to collect useful information, um, but it also allows us to be perceived more, more positively. Similarly, questions, as you alluded to also, can be, can be a great way to draw people in, right? The, the more we sort of push them and tell them what to do, the more their anti-persuasion radar goes off, the less interested they are in listening. But the more we're asking questions, the more they feel like we're interested in their opinion, the happier they are to give us that feedback. Um, and the more we begin to have a conversation and the better we understand them, right? As, as salespeople or as leaders, questions can be a great way to sort of suss out more about our audience and what they're focused on or interested in, which can be a, a great way to sort of guide the discussion towards a, a productive end. I also think it's really fascinating, Jonah, in that section about questions, how it, you mentioned it's kind of not actually true. Flattery doesn't actually get you everywhere. And it's asking questions that can kind of bring people closer instead of when you use too much flattery, people think that, oh, there's an ulterior motive here. So it's actually, to your point, asking questions is getting people to open up, getting people to trust you, getting people to kind of uh, just get closer to you, which is really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it, it's in some sense a way to flatter people without flattering them, right? There's, there's another type of questions I talk about in the book called follow-up questions. So, you know, if somebody says, oh, I had a tough day at the office, not just saying, I'm sorry to hear that, but saying, why? Uh, I, you know, I, I love that presentation, not just saying, oh, I loved it too, but what did you like about it, right? Questions like that signal interest, right? They, they signal that you care, that you're being responsive. You care not enough, not just enough to, to listen to what someone said, but to understand what they said and want to learn more. And so questions can be a great way to build social connection at the office or in our, in our personal lives. They can be a good way to show interest um, uh, and indicate that we care about what someone's saying. Yeah, absolutely. So. In thinking about taking some of the things that we've talked about today, now, obviously, this is not in, in the very short time that we have together today. This is not a comprehensive guide, social pros on the magic words. You have to go pick up the book because it is really, really cool. All of these, again, these categories all have different insights and data and, and ways that you can implement them. And it's really, really cool to see just how many different ways this can apply to literally everyday life. But Jonah, I know probably the one question on our social pros minds is let's say, I don't know, you would like to ask for a raise or maybe some more <laughs> department resources or maybe another team member or a promotion. How can they start to look at these magic words and uh, start to broach that conversation? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think asking for a raise is always a, a challenge if you start by asking for a raise. But, but think about what else you could start with. You could start with something by saying like, hey, um, you know, do you think I've done a good job recently? Or if you're trying to get resources for your area saying, hey, you know, we're interested in which of these three priorities uh, the firm wants to, you know, is it, everybody thinks are important uh, in the future. And maybe all three of them are, are things your area works on, right? But by asking questions that draw attention to a space, you encourage commitment to the conclusion. Right. If someone's just um, uh, spent a bunch of time talking about how great a job they think you're doing or how much a priority a certain area is, and then you say, oh, well, you know, do you think we could have more resources for this area? Or, oh, um, you know, do you think um, I might be able to get a raise in the future? It's a lot harder for them to say no, right? Not because you told them that they had to say yes, but because they just spent a whole bunch of time telling why what you're suggesting is a great idea. And, and so I think using questions is just one example, but it can be a great way to persuade others, not by telling them what to do, but by leading them in a particular direction. 
Uh, there is, as Anna was saying, so much packed in this book. I, I uh, spent the weekend with it, uh, and really, the, we've only just kind of scratched the surface of what you you really unpack uh, inside of Magic Words. So definitely, uh, social pros, please go pick up a copy of it. Do yourself a favor. Uh, on your, whatever that, that next magical conversation you need to have might be, be it with uh, your toddler or with your boss about a forthcoming raise. Uh, magic words are part of the the path to getting you there. Um, I think a lot of our, our people in our community probably already follow you and keep up on what you're up to. But uh, where can they go to learn more about the book? And uh, certainly, assume they can pick up a copy wherever they wish. But um, where can they go to kind of learn more about the book? And also, you kind of reference that piece that you've uh, just recently published that came out after the book on yeah, sure. So um, a great place to learn more about my research and the book, and there's a bunch of free resources as well. Uh, it's just jonerberger.com, uh, my website. There's a, a one-pager with the speak framework. There's a guide for asking better questions. There's um, a bunch of content around how to use the ideas uh, in the book there, as well as links to some of uh, our, our recent research. Um, and uh, you know, if you want to ask more questions or things along those lines, um, you can find me at j1burger on, on either Twitter or, or LinkedIn. Awesome. It is definitely a great book. So excited for those in the community to read it and put this into practice. Hopefully, we'll hear uh, how it's been useful for them as well. Uh, Jonah, you've been on you've been on Social Pros uh, a few times. You may hold a record. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to verify that. But uh, <laughs> we cannot in this book a world record. We cannot let you uh, off the hook on this episode without this same treatment we give everybody, even if they do hold the frequent Social Pros card. The final two questions, do you feel ready? I, I'm ready. I'll toss the first one at you. Uh, if you could give a piece of advice to any aspiring social pro, anyone who wants to be a social pro, what would it be? Yeah, yeah I'm very simply understand your audience. Um, as communicators, I think it's really easy to focus on what we want to get out there, the ideas we want to get out there, the product we care about, the service we think is great. Um, but the more we understand about why people are on social media, the more we understand about what someone is hoping to get out of social media, the more we can design content that will increase our impact, right? Think about our, ourselves, for example. You know, um, why do we go on social media? What are we hoping to get out of those situations? The more we understand our audience and the behavioral science behind why people do what they do, the, the more we can be social pros and, and create really impactful content. Love it and couldn't agree more um, all about the audience as we have just talked about for this entire episode. Um, Jonah, final question for today. Um, if you could have a video call with any living person, who would it be? You know, I'm going to pick more than one person. I'm going to really? say that I would love to have a group video call um, with the speechwriters for the last, I don't know, three or four, four presidents. Um, as well as um, some of the writers who have written um, movies for places like Pixar and, and Disney and, and other places. Um, I, I think writers have amazing skills uh, in storytelling, um, and we're only starting to understand the ingredients that make a great story. Um, we've done some research on it, and, and it's in there in, in the book. So we've, we've analyzed things like you know what makes certain movie scripts uh, leading to, to people to like them more, to sell more tickets. But there's certainly a lot more there to understand. And so I'd love to see how great speech writers or great movie writers uh, hone their craft. It's super fascinating. I often wonder sometimes just what it would be like to have that level of pressure to write on you as a presidential <laughs> speechwriter as well. And it makes me get clammy with fear. 
But then also, Jonah, I imagine you've probably dug into like Pixar's basically commandments for storytelling and and how they've kind of crafted some of that stuff out. It's so fascinating to see like how they start to weave that story, but it would be really cool to dig into even yeah. more on how they do that. Indeed. Love it. Um, Jonah, thank you so much again for being here. This is awesome. I'm so excited about this book. So excited to have you back on the show. Thank you once again for being on for the fourth time. It was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you guys so much for having me back. And Social Pores listeners, don't forget to go get Jonah's book. It's really, really cool. And also, hey, there might be a raise in your future if you just ask the right way and you unlock those magic words. Um, but in the meantime, Social Pores listeners, thank you as well for being back with us week after week for what we hope is your favorite podcast in the whole world, Social Pros. Social Pros.